0: From an overnight prison cell held in contempt of court, it's the IGN Digigods. Please welcome two men who are out of order, along with Corey who's out of order, the whole podcast is out of order, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yeah, cool little And Justice For All reference there in one of our new intros. Corey, who is the big fan of And Justice For All? That was written by Jason Croons, Croons, Kroons, Croons, Kroons, 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 No, Kroons. Who knows? Rhymes with prunes and justice for all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who's clearly invested in justice for all. That's right. Yes. That was written by Jason Croons, who's clearly invested in justice for all and justice and injustice and just us. Just us? Oh, no, for all. What? No, Mark, we should, we should point out Corey, Corey's never seen Injustice for All No And when he, when he read that the first time He had no idea what he was reading He didn't, he didn't get the reference at all And you had to coach him through it And well, you did a very Corey, good job You did a very good job Corey, well, Corey, Corey, knows, tends, Corey knows movies left and right But for some reason that was one that just escaped him
1: Corey tends to be more of a sci-fi guy yeah. A geek, as yeah. it were And an probably adorable, so. lovable
0: geek uh, Probably so That is true Yes so anyway, uh, listen. We need we need we need your your uh, listener mails. Uh, we have some saved up that we're going to read on uh, on uh, the next show or the one thereafter. But uh, we need listener mails. We need uh, Vox boxes. Send us some Vox, vox boxes. No, no to gods at digigods.com gods at digigods.com and of course everybody join the Facebook page there are lots of lively discussions going on and uh, it's a good place to ask questions and get feedback from a lot of very knowledgeable people I'm always amazed at our, uh, our Facebook uh, uh, fan group because it's just like they, they, they know everything it's really it's very impressive we have some but they
1: can't uh, know too much because then they can host this podcast yeah, well, where would that leave us?
0: exactly where we are that's where it would leave us. Anyway, um, uh, Mark, uh, some interesting stuff this week. Uh, I think so. Should we, uh, should we dive right into it, or should we talk about uh, Brian Singer first? We don't really want to talk about we that. Don't we? Talk about no, that we don't soon. want to talk you know,
1: about that. Those things are
0: just sorted. sorted. They really yeah. are.
1: And you know what? It's just words against words now. No I know.
0: I know. It is. It is sorted. You know what I want to do first?
1: Uh, i got a bunch of i got a bunch
0: of low budget horror stuff that has accumulated i'm going to go through this super quickly i think because you should. because i have not watched I, I confess i have not watched a single one of these all the way through in point of fact i have watched maybe 15 or 20 minutes of each one of these some of them i watched 10 minutes of just to get a sense of whether or not it really is scary you can do usually do that so i'm gonna say uh so I'm going to blow right through these um, because it's all pretty, pretty uh, cut and dry. This was an official selection at Shriek Fest in 2013. I don't even know what that is. I'm sure if we talked to Luke Thompson, he'd, he'd tell us all about it. Uh, but anyway, this is, a, uh, this, this whole, this is you know, the whole idea of chemical, like in a chemical plant uh, where people die in a chemical plant. It's the, the, the usual deal except we're you know, getting into a, into a toxic waste uh, thing. This is hazmat revenge has a new face Um, fairly suspenseful Um, you know nothing I haven't seen before Uh, much better is cybergeddon this is actually not bad for a low-budget film Uh, this from arc entertainment Uh, look like pretty pretty high production value decent uh, decent performances and uh, seem to have a pretty good uh, pretty, pretty good suspenseful vibe going uh, pretty awesome and I think I want to watch the whole thing this is from IFC Midnight is uh, director Eric England's Contracted um, this is this is actually really really kind of cool this is a um, this seems to be a, 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 almost like an arty an arty horror film in many respects and uh, looks really cool has a really neat vibe to it and the lead actress is really really good and uh, I think this is this is definitely worth checking out giving a giving a second look to uh from the um uh, Accelerator Macabre line is the conspiracy, which uh, didn't really do anything for me. That just seemed to be completely negligible. And then Holy Ghost people looked pretty fun. So Holy Ghost people is the one I would give uh, much more of a thumbs up to. Uh, it's it's got that Appalachian vibe, and I always I always like uh, psycho hillbillies. There's something about psycho hillbillies that I always find uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, Blu-ray called Dead Shadows from a director who I sh- I guess I should know more of David Chalewa or Chalua. Um, this is pretty gruesome. Great effects in the stuff that I watch. Great makeup effects and uh, uh, pretty high production value. It's uh, this is a whole sci-fi thing. There's like a there's like a comet on its way to the Earth, and uh, it's a little bit like Night of the Comet, except much darker and more gruesome, and uh, actually kind of uh, kind of seem to have a cool vibe. Uh, from the Screen Media Dark Side line is Confine, starring three people I've never heard of before. Alfie Allen, Daisy Lowe, and Eliza Bennett. You've got to love it when they brag about people that no one has ever heard of. Uh, but anyway, this is, a, um, uh, this is about a woman who's, uh, who winds up basically being so horrified by an event in her life that she just can't leave her house. And uh, then she's subject to a home invasion. Pretty good idea, um, low budget, but the, the execution is actually really, really good. A thing called Death Do Us Part, in some really fancy packaging, uh, is kind of generic. We've sort of seen this thing many, many, many times before. It's the, uh, the wedding gone awry. Uh, there, there have been at least a dozen of those. Scream Park, uh, starring the, uh, the genre f- uh, darling Doug Bradley from Hellraiser. And uh, you know what? Um, not so, not so great. I, I got to be honest. It's uh, directed by Cary Hill, who I guess is also something of a, of a of a genre guy. This just this just feels like more kind of uh, variation on Hills Have Eyes. Uh, Camp Dread stars Eric Roberts, who uh, we had you know listener mail some weeks ago about why uh, why hasn't his career taken off and hasn't why hasn't he done better with his career because he's a good actor and he is a good actor and he's the best thing about this. Um, it's not terrible, you know, it's a, it's, it's the usual deal, you know. You, you've seen this a million times before, and I think it's a little similar to what we recently had in All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, but uh, Eric Roberts is worth checking out. And then my favorite of all of them is just if worth watching for the title alone, The Legend of the Psychotic Forest Ranger. Uh, you got to check it out. You seriously have to check it out. It looks like something from... Uh, from the late 1960s, and it means to, and uh, it's just, it's really, really hilarious. This, it means to just be a great, big, giant, goopy ball of cheese, right down to the uh, completely erroneous color of blood. It is hilarious. It's a riot. It's a hoot. It's worth checking out.
1: You know, wait, I'm looking at the, uh, at the interwebs. Yes. And it's something that will mean nothing to anybody, but I'm right. going to say it anyway. Go ahead. They are closing down for remodeling the Lemley Theater on 2nd Street.
0: Well... Again, what are they going to do to it now?
1: They're going to remodel it. They're, they're going to put in a. Uh, they're going to remodel it. Are they going to make it? Are, are they going to It'll make reopen it? Reopen in December. It'll, there'll be a restaurant there called uh, Dolce Vita.
0: It'll have how many screens when they reopen? It does not say. Okay, it needs to have two screens again, like it did originally, because they butchered that second screen.
1: It, it, well, it, it's it, kind it of what the a, Avco did.
0: I know it's what, the, it's what they've all done. It's
1: now the, the Avco's reopening. You know I mean, that that thing's almost done.
0: I know, but I'm scared to see what it is because it's going to have stadium seating and a whole bunch of... Look, the no, origi- no,
1: it, 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 it's like they have in Pasadena where you pay 30 bucks for a ticket yeah, and you get whatever. food. It's, I'm
0: it. sick of that, I'm sick of that. I want giant movie palace auditoriums again. I want to sit in a theater you know, that that has, like, a normal rake, not auditorium seating. I want to sit in a normal theater that has, a, like, a normal rake and, and, like, Rococo design on the sides and, and some really gaudy decoration. And I want to sit in that theater with, you know, at like, a thousand other people. I want to sit in a theater with a thousand people, not 200 people, not 150 people, not 50 people, with a thousand people. Sitting in a the theater with a thousand people, watching all Ghost texting. watching Ghostbusters, all, all laughing at the same time, is an awesome experience and it's something that people just don't have anymore. It's, it's not, not awesome the same either. sitting with, with like 200 people.
1: I, I disagree. Uh, my experience Blame. is sitting in a theater with a bunch of people texting and, and, uh, and tweeting during the movie. sucks. That to me is uh, pure movie going bliss.
0: You know Star Trek Enterprise season 4 on Blu-ray? This pretty awesome. four
1: seasons. Huh? This thing lasted four, at least four seasons. Yep. How did it do that? It was never a blip. Nobody talked about it. It was just it just, it, it, it just became like the one Star Trek series too many.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what you know what's awesome about this <laughs> is that actually, you remember the you remember the um, the 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 the, the, uh, the uniform that Kirk would occasionally wear. That's not the usual tan uniform, but it was like that weird little sort of green. Uh, sure. That the, sure. the, the green thing that was a little bit too like sexy. Right. Like it, it's a little wrap over. It had a little wrap over action. and It was showing a little bit too much skin. It was a little too tight. It was a little too like uh, you know, like it, it. It almost needed a cod piece to be a full a full ensemble. You remember that deal? Yeah. Well, you know they they have Scott Bakula wear one of those in this season. You know.
1: They uh, Shatner used to say <laughs> that uh, you 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 could always tell. It's, yeah. It's brilliant. Shatner used to say you could always oh, tell gosh. at what point in the season an episode was shot because as the as the production season would. Keep going. Yeah. he'd get fatter and fatter. Because <laughs>
0: he'd just munch on the. Yeah. So yeah. In,
1: in episodes where he looks really thin, you can tell he shot that early in the yeah. season.
0: It's brilliant. And then Dynasty, the eighth season is out in a two-volume set. Dynasty. Dynasty. Uh, you know, by this, by the eighth season, it was this, this show's just completely off the rails. I loved the show when it was on, but honestly, by the by the eighth season, it was it was just too much. It needed to go off the air. Um, all right, Mark. Let's uh, let's get into some uh, let's see, classic movies or new movies. What do you want to What do you want to uh, jump into?
1: Classic movies.
0: Classic movies. All right. I'll let you talk about. Uh, I'll, I'll let you hear t- t- talk about the happy one. Oh my
1: God. <laughs> uh, one of the great films. It's a great film, but you know, there's no doubt about it. Is uh, Sophie's Choice from 1982? This is directed by Alan Pakula. This contains one of Meryl Streep's greatest performances. She won an Oscar for it. She is, Ford. won an Oscar Ford. Yeah. She's absolutely devastating. She plays a, 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 an immigrant from Poland who lives in a boarding house uh, in New York City with her lover and a young writer. And uh, this thing is just devastating. And you, you spend the whole movie one, at least, look, in 1982, I was like a, just a, a, a young lad, very young lad. Yep. And all I cared about is, what's the choice she has to make? What is Sophie's choice? Is she choosing between Kevin Klein and Peter McNichol. Oh no, her choice, Sophie's choice,
0: devastating. It is.
1: It destroys her entire life. It's awesome. And only one thing can bring her peace.
0: Big freaking downer of a movie. Uh, <laughs> it really is. But but it's a great. It's movie. devastating. It's, 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 it's no, great. It's, it's tremendous. It's a fantastic film. It's and, a great film. And
1: Shout Factory, God love them. They uh, they actually assembled Meryl Streep, Alan Klein, Alan Klein. Meryl Streep and Kevin Klein to uh, participate in a roundtable conversation about yep. the movie.
0: Yes, and Can't indeed.
1: beat it. And there's an audio commentary with uh, Alan Pakula. Now, of course, uh, Alan Pakula died uh, years ago. In but the worst, uh, the
0: worst way any director has ever died. I, I just – I, I still no, have – Anybody has ever died. <laughs>
1: it's just horrible. He, he, he got in this like free car accident on the Long Island Expressway. It was like, where like a, a, a sign a, fell on his head or something. No, it was
0: like a girder went flying out the back of a truck and impaled his head or something. It was just horrible. I remember reading the details of it, and I just thought, that is just the worst way to go ever. Uh, Olive Films continues to do amazing work licensing stuff. The, uh, they are, they have, we have volume three of The Essential Betty Boop, which if you have one and two, you've got to get this. It's just I never realized there were so many Betty Boop shorts, and they're all really, really adorable and cute and wonderful and just fantastic. Uh, This has uh, an additional 12 shorts. It is beautiful on Blu-ray. Really fantastic. All mastered from 4K scans of the original uh, negatives. It is just gorgeous stuff. Animation fans just will not be able to get enough. And uh, it includes uh, some of the, really, the best. Mini the Moocher, which is one of the most famous. Um, The the New Deal Show. um, Ha ha ha, Stop That Noise. It's all really, really good stuff. And then also from uh, Olive is uh, Men in War, starring Robert Ryan and Vic Morrow, along with Aldo Ray, directed by Anthony Mann, who was mainly a, um, you know, Anthony Mann's claim to fame is that he made a lot of great noirs, and then he was the first director of Spartacus who got fired and replaced by some young punk named Stanley Kubrick. That's right. That was the deal. Anthony Mann. But he made some good war stuff, too, and this is one of them. Uh, Really, really gritty, unflinching stuff uh, from 1957. And uh, this is a Korean War film, uh, and in 1957, that was very, very fresh in everybody's memory. There are not a lot of Korean War films, so they are a, uh, a, a small bunch. And, the, you know, if you take MASH out of the equation, it's even smaller. MASH is one everybody knows about, but it's, it's uh, you know, a comedy. And Vic Morrow, of course, you know, everybody knows him from, uh, uh, from the, the, the television World War II thing. Star Wars? No, which I'm forgetting the name Combat? of. Combat? Combat, thank you. Uh, gee, that's a hard title to remember. That's how late it. is. I'm going to have an all-nighter tonight. You know that? I'm staying you're up all night. You're always
1: having an all-nighter. Just go oh, to sleep. I, just, I can't have a baby. It's The baby's not it. You're, 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 always doing, you're always up at 3 in the morning doing some like FileMaker Pro thing.
0: Yeah, probably. That is totally unnecessary. That's kind of true, actually. <laughs>
1: uh, I like FileMaker Pro.
0: Anyway, no, it's a good, this is a really, really good gritty film and uh, very realistic in its depiction of uh, a lot of aspects of the Korean War uh sleep my love is a douglas sirk film starring claudette colbert robert cummings and don amici and uh it is uh, uh an unusual douglas sirk film it's one of his you know it's not as melodramatic as he you know normally you would identify him as the quintessential melodrama director but this is a this is much more of a thriller and uh, quite a good one really cool photography very nicely put together uh, from 1948, uh, Doug, Joseph Valentine, who uh, did a couple of Hitchcock films, Saboteur and Shadow of a Doubt, cinematographer, and does even better work here, believe it or not. Um, really a very cool film. Almost a noir. I wouldn't quite consider it a noir. And then Joseph Losey, the amazing uh, American expat who went to uh, England to make most of his movies. From 1953, Stranger on the Prowl, starring an aging Paul Muni in an amazing uh, performance, really, really amazing, Uh, very unusual film, Uh, definitely worth checking out, I don't know if it's worth owning, but uh, you definitely have to at least watch it, now the problem is, you know, these these Olive titles go out of print pretty quickly, so uh, if you want to see Paul Muni play a vagrant who uh, accidentally kills somebody, and then, you know, with the, all of everything that kind of transpires thereafter, d- d- boy, you, you may want to buy this. So that's definitely worth checking out. And then an awesome snapshot of the, uh, of the 1960s in uh, Up the Junction, which is one of those really cool, it's almost, it's almost got a, um, a, a Lester feel to it in some respects. You know, Lester really captured the 60s almost better than any other director. And this has kind of that same vibe. Beautiful, uh, super widescreen photography from 1968. Uh, based on a book by Nell Dunn, which I have otherwise never heard of. Uh, but this is really a, a pretty classic British picture in almost all respects, produced by two of the amazing, I mean, the guy who directed it, Peter Collinson, not terribly well known, but the producers, Anthony Havelock Allen and John Braeburn, uh two of the great British producers of all time. And uh, really just a, a lovely, lovely movie, a lovely, uh, lovely um, uh, romance. So, uh, Up the Junction, starring Susie Kendall and Dennis Waterman. Definitely worth checking out as well. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, why don't we... Um, yeah, Mark, t- t- give us... Uh, yeah.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> you know, usually we, we on the show we recommend movies for people to buy or rent um, this, this one's really more of a warning than it is an uh, actual recommendation. Yeah. This is um, Rainbow Films. They have taken uh, four Henry Jaglum films, put them in a box, and said, look, here's four Henry Jaglum films in a box. <laughs> this is called Henry Jaglum Collection Volume 3, The Women's Quartet. Four films about women's lives and their complex mm-hmm. relationships with... Eating... One of the films, Baby Fever, Going Shopping, and Irene in Time.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, you know, the thing with Henry Jaglam is that, although I really, really just dislike him, sometimes in one of his films, there'll be just a moment of actual emotional authenticity and truth. Mm-hmm. You see, he thinks, Jaglam thinks that he's nothing but authentic. I know. But actually, just a big, just a big annoying poser, who sometimes will hit upon something, you know, but mostly doesn't
0: i I interviewed Jagu once at his Rainbow headquarters over there on sunset, which is directly across the street from the the only billboard that ever shows that ever ever advertises his movies and it usually advertises them for at least eighteen months after they 're out of theaters and um boy, that was the weirdest interview he he's 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 exactly the guy that you imagine he is he really is. I sat there and I talked to him i mean this was twenty years ago, but I sat there and I talked to him for an hour and i just i couldn 't believe it I was just like you. You really are that guy. It's, I mean, here you are right in front of me, and you're that guy. You're, you're like, you're, you're into yourself, and you're, you're temperamental, but you're yet uh, kind of a softy, and it's just you're that guy.
1: He, he really has,
0: and at the time I was interviewing him about Baby Fever. And I really, I just, uh, you know, I didn't have a, the heart to say, dude, I just think that is the most insufferable thing I have ever seen in my entire life. But, you know, because he made it because he was getting older and he didn't think he'd ever be able to have children. And, and he wound up having his daughter, who I guess, is an adult now. And is probably going to be insulted when she hears that I'm dissing the movie that he made, you know, out of love for, for having her. But my goodness. Uh, I'm whoever. thinking that
1: she does not listen to this podcast. I'm just going <laughs> <laughs> well, to take we'll a see. stab at that. Anyway, all, all four of these films are uh, are... Low budget and very talky yeah. and uh, very full of themselves and I think they're insightful, but actually they're not. Um. There you go.
0: A couple of great high-def restorations, uh, not on, on, on uh, Blu-ray, by the way. They are restored on high-def and released on DVD, but they look really, really good. These are from Film Chest, who doesn't release a lot of stuff. Film Chest is, uh, is very, very judicious in what they release, but they get some great titles. They really do. Uh, the Bigamist, starring Joan Fontaine and Ida Lupino, the, jo- the late Joan Fontaine, one of my all-time favorite actresses, um, it, it, just a wonderful movie. The the uh, title part, of course, of the bigamist, is played by Edmund O'Brien, and uh, it's exactly what it is all about. It's uh, it, it's uh, great performances all around. A little bit trashy, um, but what's noteworthy about this is that it was uh, directed in 1953 by Ida Lupino. And, you know, uh, Ida Lupino really kind of uh, bucked a lot of trends in her day, and one of them being an actress and a director at a time when women were not directing at all. And uh, she does a really, really good job. It is, uh, it's a very unusual film. It's very quick, 79 minutes, uh, from 1953, The Bigamist. Uh, really interesting movie. And then the other one is Hollow Triumph, starring Paul Henry and Joan Bennett. Um, and this is a l- even trashier uh, verges on being a B-movie. But um, it's, an, it's a, an otherwise interesting premise. It's a, it's a better premise than it is a movie. It's a, you know, kind of a trashy noir. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it actually works. And in a dual role, Paul Henry is, is, is pretty great and very, very convincing. Uh, Joan Bennett, not necessarily my favorite. But, um, you know, if, and if you've ever heard of uh, The Man Who Murdered Himself, it's the same film. That's from 1948, uh, 83 minutes long.
1: Yes? Yes.
0: Oh, now we're we're, we're into. Sorry, no, we're we're into new movies now. Sorry, we are. I missed. I missed my cue. I missed my cue. All your fault. It's all my fault. Mark, let's talk about Escape from Tomorrow. I hate this movie.
1: I wanted to like it, but Man, uh, it's movie. just really not that. The, the, the story behind it is better than the film itself.
0: Yeah, it is. It, it, this was Well, look, the, the artwork is better than the film itself. Exactly. I mean, this is, uh, for those who don't know, this movie is it's only available on Blu-ray at Best Buy right now. It's a Best Buy exclusive uh, from now through the end of July. So you're not going to get this anywhere else. And I'm not sure you even want to get it at all um this thing was like a festival darling for 18 seconds because the guy who made it he shot the entire film covertly with hidden cameras at disneyland and disney world he he smuggled cameras in he had his cast reading their scripts off of their iphones and he shot this thing you know on rides and and all over the place and uh and then edited it all together and it's basically about a guy whose life and mind are disintegrating. He loses his job at the beginning of the movie. He's out at Disney World with his family, and he has to sort of uh, feign, uh, you know, like everything's okay while he goes around the park with his kids. And, of course, he starts to lose his grip on reality, and everything gets very surreal and freaky. And then it gets, like, you know, just straight up bizarre with this, the, the, the woman that he has the affair with. And it's just it's, it's completely psychotic. It's not a well-made film. It's really an awkward movie. It's terribly acted. I mean, the actors are absolutely awful. There are a few haunting moments. There are some interesting special effects that make it, you know, a little bit uh, fantastical. But uh, bottom line, it's just a gimmick that uh, turns into a not a very good movie. It's an interesting gimmick. It's interesting that he pulled it off. And some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff here, um, you know, or what there is of it, the the, the making of featurette, uh, you know, the commentaries, some interesting stories. But, man, it's still not a good movie.
1: It's just not a good movie. You know what? It's funny because I know that these guys were expecting to get a whole lot of free publicity when Disney freaked out, filed lawsuits, screamed and yelled, yeah, went yeah. crazy. You know what Disney did? Nothing. They ignored it. Yeah. The best thing they could do. Yeah, it's true. They it's, didn't it's, engage with the guy. No. They said, you know what? This is just some low-budget piece well, of crap It's going to come and go. They yeah. totally ignored it. And all that free, free publicity that they were begging for, you know they saw it coming. Yeah. It never
0: happened. never happened. never happened. Which, I, which is fascinating, uh, and, and very smart on Disney's part, because Disney is Disney only, only going to sue if they perceive that something will be damaging. And they looked at this, and they're like, this movie's going nowhere. This isn't going to do anything to the Disney brand. This will just come and go. Yep. Come and go.
1: Very It'll, true. Speaking of come yep. and go, uh, Black Nativity, Wade, this is uh, based on the Langston Hughes uh, classic stage play, and this is uh, about, it's kind of the, um, it's a modern take on the Nativity story featuring yes. an African American cast. Boris Whitaker, Angela Bassett, Tyrese Gibson, Mary J. Blige, Jennifer Hudson. Um, you know... Is James Coco in this? What?
0: I, I don't know. You always bring up James Coco.
1: <laughs> Nobody knows who James I don't know. Coco is. I, don't know. I just love the fact that I know who he is and maybe 10 other people in the world. I know. And you do. I do. I um, do. You know this thing is. It was directed by Casey Lemons, who had a moment there as a director. I like really took off.
0: I like Casey Lemons a lot as a director. Uh, I I think unfortunately, you know, there's a really there was a there's a piece that I read this week, which is which is really true, where it said normally would you who do you want to direct your action film like the the person who directed Deep Impact. Or the, people, the person who directed uh, Yumi and Dupree. Which of those people are you going to hire to direct your Captain America movie? And yet. And yet, it's the Yumi and Dupree people. And the argument being, if Mimi Leader had directed Yumi and Dupree, she wouldn't have gotten that call. That women are simply on the bottom of the rung. They don't get the same consideration, even if they're action experts, that men do. And it's right. And uh, I think it's even harder if you're a black woman. And I think Casey Lemons is in one of those. Uh, horrible, horrible places. There are, uh, you know, there are a number of black female directors who are very, very good, really talented. Julie Dash is another one who made, um, some, you know, amazing film, *Daughters of the Dust*, years ago. And they face the, the most enormous uphill battle because they're considered niche. They only tell, uh, you know, black women's stories. That's the 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 slur on them, and it's really unfortunate. I think Casey Lemons deserves better material than this. I really do. I think she's a very talented director, and uh, really, somebody should just hand her a pile of money and say, make your dream film and, and just nail it because she has a very authentic uh, voice and she's really good with actors. And I, I, I don't think this is her best work. I think this is something that she was just able to get done.
1: That's true because yeah. really this thing is it's pretty cliched and kind of shop-worn yeah. and very familiar. I mean, it's modest and it, yeah. there's some good moments in it, but I yeah. think ultimately it doesn't really do much for me. Yeah. Um, now we have next, uh, Nut Job. This is a uh, universal um, CG film. There is, of course, um, a sequel in the works. I think this movie was just terrible. Like The, the, the main character in the movie, I just hit the mic. Mm-hmm. The main character in the movie is like this squirrel, and I just wanted to uh, run him over with my truck. Yep. In fact, I don't own a truck. I wanted to buy a truck just to run him over with it. And uh, yeah, so I didn't, like the, I didn't like the main character, and I didn't think it was that funny, not that clever. Has a good voice cast. You, know, you, you feel sorry for these voice casts because, like, they record their parts. You know, sometimes a couple of years before the movie comes out, so all they're recording is their lines of dialogue. They have no idea what the animation is going to be like. They have no idea if it's going to come together as a film. And they come, you know, they figure, here is Liam Neeson, here is the horrible Catherine Heigl, here is you know Jeff Dunham, here is Will Arnett, here is Brendan Fraser. You know, they figure, hey, it's going to be the new uh, Ice Age. It's going to be fantastic. Turns out, it's nut job. Terrible. Kids might like it, but ultimately it's just pretty terrible. So much of the nut job.
0: Well, uh, Copperhead was out for uh, 16 seconds last year, and um, I actually think this is kind of worth seeing. Um, Ron Maxwell directed this. Ron Maxwell is such an interesting director. I don't think he's a great director, but he's one of those guys who just, just puts his head down and gets somehow, you know, if it takes 15, 10, 20 years to get a movie made, he does it. Um, and he doesn't make easy movies. He made Gettysburg, you know, which is four hours and uh, just this, it, it, really ambitious and not not that good actually. I mean, I went and saw Gettysburg in the theater, and it was kind of a slog. But I, I I remember thinking, boy, dude, you deserve an A just for getting this thing made, you know, with this all-star cast and the staging and the whole thing. It's just it, just A for effort all the way. And then he made the equally daring Gods and Generals, another uh, Civil War movie. And this is also the Civil War, Civil War era that he is so obsessed with. It's called Copperhead. Uh, it's on Blu-ray from Warner, uh, who who did not distribute it theatrically. They just pick, they just picked it up for uh, for Blu-ray release. But um, it is, it's not on the battlefield, though. It's not a battlefield movie. It's uh, in upstate New York during the Civil War, and it's um, it is an interesting look at the conflict in uh, in a community centering around one guy in particular. Um, is it is it is you know it's a little raw and uh, you know probably needed a little more development. If this had gone through a proper kind of studio development or independent film development process, where you have a, a few more cooks in the kitchen, at least trying to hone the material, it probably would have been a little bit uh, less rough around the edges. But it's it's a it's a very sincere film and it uh, it's quite nicely made despite a limited budget. So if you're a Ron Maxwell fan, Civil War fan, check out Copperhead.
1: Uh, Wade, I have two more for you. We have an interesting little comedy that you might want to check out called Date and Switch. It's, um, it's pretty, it's pretty modest, uh, in scope and ambition, but it's kind of interesting. It's about these, um, these two high school seniors. They've been friends since they were, like, eight years old. They're both still virgins, and they decide to make a, make a deal, make a pact to, um, get laid before the senior prom. However, turns out, one of them has a secret... What's the secret, Wade? He's uh, a woman. Uh, He's gay.
0: Oh, okay. And you can
1: tell by the uh, poster art, the one sheet, which one is gay. Uh Because the word switch is in yellow. And the only person in the cast on the poster who was wearing a yellow shirt is that guy? Okay, which means he is the one who is switching. I got it. Gay.
0: I understand. I took the switch to be something completely different. I thought it'd be like all a right? sex change thing. I
1: know you. are you're, you're okay. very sick. All right. Anyway, look, this thing is pretty modest. It doesn't work all the way, but it's pretty sincere and it's pretty genuine, and it has kind of a big. It has a big heart, and uh, you know, look, if some of it doesn't work, at least they're trying. I, I kind of I didn't love this film, but I liked it more than I thought I would. It was more genuine in its emotions than I thought it would be, despite um, some of the forced humor. But uh, Date and Switch, if you're into this kind of stuff, then uh, I give it a whirl. You never know. On the other end of the spectrum is uh, The Boys of Abu Ghraib. Now, um, The Boys of Abu Ghraib it's about a uh, it's about a soldier, and he goes to Abu Ghraib where he's got a high he he's got a guard. You know, all these big time, you know, detainees and, you know, it's ripped from the headlines where he's kind of pressured by his bosses to use, you know, harsh techniques on innocent detainees. And so it's kind of a rip from the headline thing. But uh, this kind of stuff. You've really got to go deep. It's got to be like a yeah. director who can really, a director and a writer who can really just not be sensationalistic about it, and not be too jingoistic, or not too black and white about it, and really pull out the emotions, and and really pull out the op-ed opportunities in this in this story. This really isn't it. Very half-hearted. Only scratches the surface. Um, I like the idea of it because it can definitely use a dramatic treatment. I would agree, but this really is is just not it. Um, not very insightful script wise Uh, but you know what Uh, if you're into the story you may want to give it a whirl it's just not very good it's called The Boys of Abu Ghraib
0: all right, got a few uh, interesting stories here. Uh, locker 13 is a uh, kind of an omnibus slash um, oh I don't know anthology film. I guess is maybe the best way to put it. Uh, the what it's a little bit like Four Rooms, right? You know, Four Rooms, uh, the, right? All these different stories. And, yeah, except this is all sort of tied together by one locker in this uh, in this theme park uh, where the janitor opens the locker and. Um, you Suddenly, you know, you've got the supervisor guy who starts telling him different stories, and you go into all these, you know, these different little stories that uh, detail a series of fork in the road uh, life choice uh, dilemmas. Uh, good cast uh, Ricky Schroeder, Tatiana Ali, uh, John Polito uh you know it's a it's it's a, it's a nice little uh indie film from arc entertainment uh, probably you should have gotten a theatrical release i'm not quite sure why it didn't but there it is uh michael winterbottoms every day this really should have gotten uh, a proper theatrical release winterbottoms films just aren't like on anyone's radar anymore it's I so know. sad
1: i loved him his he first just... half dozen movies you know 24-hour party people yeah you know code 46 I thought he but, was great. But
0: it, I guess his just his commercial cachet was so limited outside the UK that he just, now he's just kind of, he's just there. People just don't pay attention to him anymore. Anyway, He's also is, very
1: prolific and after a while, I'll Well, say, he's
0: on. still prolific. I mean, he's just cranking them out. And uh, this is, the, he t- but this one, it took him five years to make. And he made other films while he's putting this together, but he wanted it to have the real feel of a, of a, of a long-term family drama and uh, it, it's, it feels like it Shirley Henderson is amazing I mean I love Shirley Henderson anyway she just has such a great kind of blue-collar authenticity to her but uh, uh, you know it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult film to watch it's very gritty and it's, uh, it's meaningful and poetic all at the same time and it's, uh, it's very very uh, it's very touching so that's uh, definitely worth checking out if you missed it um, not showing up in theaters and uh, Jeffrey Rush and Donald Sutherland show up in *The Best Offer*, which also did not get a theatrical release. Astonishingly, normally I would think Jeffrey Rush, Donald Sutherland in a film by the director of uh, *Cinema Paradiso*, Giuseppe Tornatore. Sure, why not? No, <laughs> it's just very strange. Uh, not Tornatore's best film, but Tornatore makes really tight movies. And uh, this is a, uh, this has got a a really, uh, you know, he he makes thrillers actually more often than he makes things that are melodramatic like Cinema Paradiso. And this is thrillery and uh, really, really quite, quite interesting, Uh, a very, very tight script, a very interesting trajectory, totally impossible to get in front of this movie. And uh, it's got some, some good stuff going on. Jim Sturgis also shows up in this. And uh, I think if you just want to watch great, great acting, Donald Sutherland and Jeffrey uh, Rush especially, just he just kills it in this. It's a, it's a good, tight, taut little movie. And then uh, the last one I'm going to make mention of here is, the, is Wrong Cops by Quentin Dupieux, who is a director I absolutely despise. Oddly enough, Wrong Cops comes on the heel of wrong, which comes on the heels of rubber, rubber. which I just think Dupieux is the most overrated loon in the world. Uh, Marilyn Manson is actually in this and looks totally miscast, looks wrong. You just go, I mean, now I understand why he wears makeup, because when he takes the makeup off, you're like, dude, you, you need makeup. You don't look right. There's something wrong uh but anyway it's just he's just a horrible director all he does is just weird stuff and this is this is this is just a a lot of absurdism and weird and it's just pointless it's just silly and it's a little bit offensive too and i'm not normally somebody that says that so he really needs to just go away fortunately this did not uh this did not actually get a theatrical release thank goodness wade yes how are you? <laughs> I remember when that, that film was like it got a little bit of buzz at Sundance. And it was like, uh, when did James Franco find time to do that? And why would he do it?
1: James Franco, this guy is just, there is nothing he won't do. I know. He, the, the, You know what? I mean, I, in a sense, I kind of admire uh, it. Yeah. Where he's got an itch to do a soap opera, he's going to do a soap opera. I know. He's got an itch to recreate the 40 minutes that were cut out of uh, William Freakin's, uh, you know, Cruising. He's going to do that, too. And that's exactly what Interior Leather Bar is. Now, for those who don't know, um, in 1980, it was? Um, <laughs> yeah, 1980, uh, William Freakin did a, uh, an Al Pacino film about uh, a cop who goes undercover in the gay community called Cruising. And the movie was about to get an X unless um, Freakin cut out about 40 minutes worth of uh, very explicit gay-themed sexual material, which, of course, he did. And the movie was released... Without the X But uh, James Franco And his buddy Travis Matthews Have decided To Kind of recreate The 40 minutes of material That was cut out of the movie Uh But here's the thing It's not just A recreation Of 40 minutes of gay sex He uses it As a launching pad I'm not saying He achieves it But I'm saying This is what he does He uses it As a launching pad To explore Homosexuality In film And in American culture Uh that might be overselling the actual impact of the film but as an experiment uh i have to say interior leather bar is kind of interesting here's
0: here's what i have to say about james franco yes. i turned the oscars on a couple of years ago there he is he's in the oscars he's 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 hosting it what, what go away you, as if he infl- doesn't care he, he he's hosting everything i go to see that seth rogan movie the, the end of the world thing there he is he's playing himself in this movie it's his it's his house he's funny he's like he's suddenly there he is he's there he is again uh, that guy shoots up a a, a a whole thing at LAX. Shoots up a whole uh, you know uh, the, the the whole that kills a TSA guy at LAX. James Franco's there. He's he's, he's, tweeting, tweeting, he's tweeting. He's tweeting about the whole thing while it's happening. It's like what, Who are you? What do you do? Here I'm. I'm watching the, uh, the 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 Veronica Mars movie. You know, it's a TV show. Veronica Mars, whatever. It's like Nancy Drew. I'm watching it. Here's James Franco playing himself. It's like, dude, stop it. Stop being everywhere and in everything and being yourself everywhere at all the t- all times. I'm tired of it. Good grief. And Go now, away.
1: Go away for a moment. And now... You know, I was in New York a couple of weeks ago, Ugh. and he's starring on Broadway in... Uh, ...Of Mice and Men. And here's the funny part is that he's been getting God. ripped. He's been getting ripped by the critics. And he actually had, in response to Ben Brantley's negative review mm-hmm. in the New York Times, uh, Franco hit Instagram and called Ben Brantley a little bitch.
0: Oh, oh did he now? Yes, well. he did.
1: Well. Which he then hold down once you realize that you know, in a fit of rage, maybe is not the best time to start tweeting and Instagramming things. Yeah,
0: God. remember, remember when celebrities actually had publicists who served to sort of filter everything ahead of time?
1: Well, look, uh, they can't have that because uh, then you wouldn't have Entertainment Tonight, Extra, The Insider,
0: I, E, the last one, the Seth, Internet, Seth Rogen, and Nancy Grace. Did you follow this whole thing a little bit? Oh, good grief! So, Nancy Grace, look, Nancy Grace, her whole deal is that she's angry and indignant about something. All the time, right? That's that's her whole shtick. So every night she's got something that she's just furious about, and she's going to look in the camera, and she's going to wag her finger, and she's going to say with that you know that Southern school marm twang of hers, you know, stop doing this, stop doing that. This is bad, and this is my new crusade. That's her thing. Okay, it's her shtick. It is what it is. So she had some deal, some anti you know marijuana screed going on. It is after all an illegal drug. So, you know, raging against an illegal drug isn't, isn't, should not be really surprising to anybody. Seth Rogen, being the ever-loving, proud pothead that he is, took huge offense to it. And he tweeted out, you know, you're an effing whatever. It's like, dude, stop. You're a celebrity. You don't need to defend marijuana. Marijuana doesn't need you.
1: Well, marijuana means a lot to him.
0: <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> my gosh! You just hosted Saturday Night Live. You have a movie coming out. You don't need to go out. It's like it's it's almost like like somebody defamed his best friend. It's like stop, let it go. It's Nancy Grace. It's what she does.
1: Yeah, I mean, but the but he also knows. My goodness, he also knows
0: it's already illegal. It's it's like that's it's, not the
1: issue. <laughs> the issue is he knows that if he engages in a Twitter war. With Nancy Grace. Yeah. All the articles are going to say, I and guess. Rogan, whose new film, Neighbors, comes out next week. yeah, That's what they're going to say. That'll I be guess. in every article. I guess. Whatever.
0: All right. Here's what, uh, here's what we got next. Uh, I'm going to blow through a few kid things Thank right God.
1: now. Oh, God. I'm, I'm going to take a nap.
0: You take a nap. But first, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do for you, Mark, because, see, we already talked about Peppa Pig My Birthday Party. Which I which I have now watched. I kid you not. I, the Peppa Pig my birthday party. The first Peppa Pig DVD I have watched, beginning to end, at least twenty times because it's the only thing that keeps my daughter absolutely occupied for a, a, like an hour and a half of playtime. She just she's glued to Peppa Pig. But
1: that animation
0: but is horrible. It's great. It's so much fun. But here's the thing. This is the this is the a new release of the same DVD, but on the sound series, and you, it has little buttons on the cover. That the play Peppa Pig sounds so listen so here are some Peppa Pig sounds just so that you so you hear listen listen. Peppa Pig! Peppa Pig! Isn't that great? Here's another one. I'm Peppa Pig. I'm Peppa Pig. That's great. Here's he a, here's, sure is here, Peppa Pig. No, she. Oh, she's Peppa Pig. She. It's a girl. Oh, I'm sorry. Here, here, here's another one. You're gonna love this one. It's a little giggle. So it's a Peppa she... giggle. And this is my favorite. We sing that song. We, we whistle that tune all day long.
1: Kids score for life. Oh, I right, love yeah, this. Yeah, that's great.
0: The problem is you can't change the battery. When these things wear out, they wear out. Oh, that's a shame. It's a, it's a crying shame is what it is. So anyway, uh, it's Peppa Pig. It's the best thing in the world. Love
1: it. Is, it, is right. it Pepper Pig, like Angie Dickinson and uh, Police Woman? P-E-P-P-A. Not Pepper Pig.
0: Not Pepper Pig. No, Peppa Pig and her little brother, George. George Pig. George Pig, yes. And Mommy Pig and Daddy Pig. Oh, Yeah. And her best friend uh, Susie Sheep.
1: <laughs> Susie Sheep. Now, at, at, at what point does a farmer come and blow the whole family away <laughs> and then eat the bacon? <laughs> Dad, I'm going to go pe- pe- Peppa Pig winds up you know in the an best, IHOP omelet. You
0: know the best, the best name on the thing is the woman who teaches, the teacher at the school and teacher of ballet and everything, is Madame Gazelle. How cute is
1: that, right? Oh, cause she's a cause gazelle a thing, and yeah, he's a pig right, exactly. and it's great.
0: Okay. Uh, season one, volume two of Angry Birds Tunes. They keep doing these damn things. I this, love Angry I, Birds. You know, I do too, but I just don't get the mini episodes. I really don't understand why they are cartoons now. It's gonna they, be Angry Birds movie. I know. I don't it's stretching it too far. I don't I don't it's like I'm watching this and I just think I, it makes me want to play the game. It doesn't make me want to watch this cartoon to the end, it's not very interesting. I guess there's a market for it whatever it's on blu-ray and it uh, it looks fine i mean they got some good animators but i just don't get it you know this is this is great and uh i am i'm i have not yet uh inflicted this on my daughter she's not yet old enough this is for you have to be at least two according to these people but uh whistle fritz has the thing of french for kids and uh i got i got the dvd and the cd here the uh dvd is uh dedans et dehors inside and out and uh, it, there's also the uh, Let's Dance French learning songs. And I am starting to speak a little bit of French to my daughter. Uh, this looks like an awful lot of fun. And I wish I had had this when I was a kid. It would have helped me learn French much earlier and probably be uh, much more proficient at it. But um, this is really, really good stuff. So the Whistle Fritz uh, French for Kids series, the uh, CDs and the DVDs, really, really well done. I'm very, very impressed by the whole process that they've gone through. Uh, Lala Oopsie Ponies, the big show. I, I I would never have given this a second thought, but I have a feeling that I'm going to have to uh, have to let my daughter see this. Uh, I find them kind of terrifying. Uh, it, the, the whole Lala Oopsie concept. It's a little bit like Raggedy Ann and Andy, uh, but with a Frankenstein vibe. But I have a feeling my daughter will probably enjoy it. PBS Kids always does really, really good stuff. Uh, Vowel Power, five episodes, is really, really good for teaching kids how to... Um, how to, you know, spell and speak and uh, and put words together. Really, really good, actually. Uh, so this one gets an A from me as well. Uh, one that my daughter will probably never see because my wife won't allow it, but I, I like it, is uh, Shuriken School, The Ninja's Secret. This has never been on DVD before, and I've never even heard of this before. This is uh, from Cinadime and Flatiron Films, and uh, it's you know it's it's animated ninja stuff. It's uh, in the anime vibe. But the reason I'm so fond of this is because it's about a shuriken school for crying out loud. Um, you know what a shuriken is, right, Mark?
1: Oh yeah, it's a school where you learn all about shurikens. Do you know what a shuriken is? You I have no know. idea. I have no idea. It's a throwing star. Oh, it's oh, okay, got that. Yeah, yeah. A got shuriken it. is a throwing star. I one have one thing. He's called a throwing star. Huh? Why don't they just call it a throwing star? Because Why throwing is star fancy, is a fancy, unpronounceable name.
0: Because throwing star is English and shuriken is Japanese. That's great. Okay. No, yeah, because when I was a, when I was a kid, when I was in my you know martial arts phase growing up, when I was you know like eight, nine, or whatever, and I made my first pair of nunchakus by um, cutting off the ends of broomsticks, which didn't make my mother very happy. But I sawed off the, end, the, the ends of broomsticks and then you know, put holes in them and put little eye screws in there and then you know put chains and made made a pair of nunchucks. Right. I also went and got uh, a pair of uh, tin clippers. And a sheet of tin, and I did a little stenciled out a little throwing star, and I and I cut my I made throwing stars out of tin, and then uh, the the you know there was some so like a wood shed in the back, and I'd throw them into the and I, and I became really good at it. Like I could from about twenty feet, I could nail the bullseye every time with throwing stars. I was lethal. I could have been a ninja. Do you hear me? Could have been a ninja. Yeah. Anyway, and then the last one from Nickelodeon uh, is SpongeBob. You're fired. And uh, uh, you've got 14 episodes here, um, one of which, of course, is Spongebob, You're Fired. And it's the usual compilation of episodes, and uh, I just still don't really get Spongebob. I kind of appreciate the animation a little bit more now. Uh, and, of course, the famous Spongebob, You're Fired episode is, uh, is double length and whatever. But uh, I, I don't know. The, the, uh, here's my question. Krusty Krab, is he any relation to Krusty the Clown?
1: I, you're asking a lot. You don't I, I'm care. I'm not a crusty genealogist.
0: You don't care. I don't. You really don't. You're a very unpleasant man sometimes. All my,
1: all my animated shows are running out of steam. Family Guy, running out of steam. Simpsons, running out of steam. Yeah, I know. What's left? Bob's Burger? I'm not going to watch Bob's Burger.
0: Oh, lame. Bob's Burger's lame. Um, let's do some foreign language stuff. Super quick. Uh, Jan is Alice. From First Run Features is out on Blu-ray, and Jan Svankmajer, of course, is the legendary Czech animator who made a combination uh, stop-motion animation and live-action telling of Alice in Wonderland in the rather remarkable Alice, and uh, it came out ages ago on uh, on DVD. It is now out in a very very nice Blu-ray release, and uh, it is a, you know it is certainly not the traditional Alice in Wonderland, but it is. Jan Svankmeyer's Alice in Wonderland, and it is really, really gorgeous. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful film to look at on, on Blu-ray. A very, very nice job from first-run features. Um, and, uh, you know, forget about anything with Tim Burton. Just forget it. This is really, really good stuff, uh, especially considering, you know, 1988, the, the elements coming out of the Czech Republic, probably not in great shape, but they've done a really, really nice job with it. It looks really good, and it's only 84 minutes long. Fantastic. Jans Svonck Alice, all completely remastered.
1: Uh, Wade, uh, here's the surprise recommendation of the week.
0: Yeah. A movie called Big Bad Wolves. Ooh, that's the. Um, is that the thing that Tarantino went went nuts
1: so for? He certainly did, and there there's a reason did. why he did. Because mm-hmm. it's uh, crazy. There's a series of murders in this uh, town, and um, the father of one of the victims wants revenge. Do you hear me?
0: Yeah.
1: Revenge. No, it's very good, very suspenseful, very violent. It's got a lot of twists and turns to it, a lot of shocks and gross outs. Um, I kind of liked it. This is really not the kind of film that I would like, Uh but uh, it had a certain amount of style to it and really owned its violence. It wasn't a torture porn thing uh, because I just really hate that torture porn thing. Um, People are tortured, but I wouldn't consider it a torture porn film, Uh, but it's creepy and it's got a lot of dark humor in it and uh, you know, it's kind of a cool little uh, movie, Big Bad Wolves. Tarantino, I don't know if he was paid to get that quote, but um, at least he didn't give it to a crappy movie. Seems like something he would like, so I would check out the big. I would check out Big Bad Wolves if you're interested in that kind of thing.
0: Uh, Mobius is uh, an interesting French film from uh, Eric Rochon, great director that all happens to have uh, Jean Dujardin in it, coming right off of his Academy Award win uh, yeah. two years ago. Uh, Cécile de France, who's one of my favorite French actresses, and uh, Tim Roth, of all people, who just doesn't show up in movies very much anymore, Um, English or French, whatever it is. Anyway, this is an interesting espionage film. Um, Doesn't quite work. It's a little bit on the lugubrious side, but uh, it's very well done. Eric Rochon is an extremely skilled director, make you know has a real one of those really big cinematic grasp guys and uh, it's gorgeous looking on blu-ray really good has an ultraviolet copy on it that's also really really nice especially streaming watching this in streaming is is pretty sharp and uh, it's got making of featurettes and interviews with the uh, Roshan the actors and uh, I would recommend this at least for a rental definitely just uh definitely check that out and then also um uh, vincent linden another one of those really rugged french actor guys i love vincent linden he just he, he just looks like a guy who came off a construction site and chiara mastroianni who may have the greatest lineage of any actress in history i mean your dad is marcello mastroianni and your mom is Catherine Deneuve. how do you how do you even live up to that i cannot
1: believe she's 500 pounds
0: yeah, Can you, you imagine
1: being the the, the uh, daughter of those two and you're, like, ugly?
0: Uh, yeah, it, it, that, it would, that would be terrible. That would be terrible. Well, anyway, she's not. She's gorgeous. So Vincent Linden and the wonderful Chiara Mastroianni in Bastards uh, from the wonderful Claire Denis, who is just still one of the great French directors right now. This was in the Certain Regards section at Cannes. And uh, it never really got its feet under it domestically because nobody releases movies here theatrically anymore. Sundance Selects picked it up for U.S. release, and of course, they're much more interested in, uh, in you know in, in uh, VOD and, and you know straight to DVD and so forth. But um, this is a, this is quite a quite a sharp film. Uh, deals it was inspired by an actual series of sex ring scandals in France. And uh, it's very disturbing, but very realistic, very well done, and the performances are just great. Cara Mastriani is maybe the best thing that she's ever done. Vincent Linden is always so subdued. It's a a sharp film, definitely worth checking out. I'm just sorry that they didn't have more extras. I wish there had been a Claire Denis commentary, and it's not on Blu-ray, so that's unfortunate.
1: Oh, Wade. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite uh, foreign films of last year is out, A Touch of Sin.
0: Gosh, what a good movie that is. It is a good
1: movie. Uh, yeah. China's becoming a, a world power. And Zhang, Zhang uh,
0: Mao's new film, finally he's back on track. His new film's in, the, uh, in competition at it Cannes. It's supposed to be great. I'm it's supposed excited. to be really good. I'm
1: very excited about that. Uh, China becoming a world power, as we know, and uh, Chinese filmmakers are starting to kind of uh, starting to kind of discuss filmically what it all means. And here we have a st- uh, these four separate stories. Each one kind of ends in violence. One is about this angry minor. The other is about this, uh, this homeless kind of rootless migrant. The other is about this, uh, this pretty young receptionist who's dating a married man. And another about a, a factory worker. And it's all representative of what China is becoming mm. and, their, and their violent history, which sort of never goes away. This thing is very stylishly directed by a director whose name I will not pronounce because I will mess it up and uh, they will chase after me and possibly kill me.
0: Uh, well, Jacques Jean, Juncker... Jean- there you go.
1: You made that up.
0: No, it's a, I, I, I like this much better than his last film, which we gave best foreign language film to a couple of years ago. Without which is the like
1: the. Oh, the with the train. With the building yeah, taking off like a they, rocket. They, no, right. I
0: hated all that crap. It was just way too. <laughs> it's like all that magical realism. No, this is a really good film, it and is? it's it's a it's a cool omnibus intersection thing of how all these lives and violence. You know the the, the role that violence plays in modern China, and it's really disturbing, and it's very and it's all it's all based in fact. That's, that's like right. Amazing thing. It's like you're like that really happened. Somebody really did that. Yep. Like that. Wow. That's disturbing. You guys are as screwed up as we are. Good stuff. Um, you know, there's a really interesting Iranian film that I've wanted to, to plug here for quite a while. This has been out for a while. Uh, Women without Men uh, is is really really interesting. This is for, by a, a filmmaker named Shirin Nishat. Um, and it's gotten some festival exposure, but it hasn't gotten enough, and people should really pay attention. It's a really interesting film, uh, much more in the traditional Iranian uh, kind of uh, poetic realism style. And it takes place in 1953, which is really very interesting because most people don't realize there was, you know, Iran was a democracy in 1953 uh, until the guy who was going to Mossadegh, who was going to be elected president was a little bit too chummy with the Soviet Union at that time. Well, it's in their backyard. You know, it sort of made sense he wouldn't necessarily want to alienate the great big giant nuclear power that could invade them at any given moment. You know what I mean? So the the, the geopolitics of it were a little scary to the U.S., and uh, the CIA orchestrated a coup, overthrew him, and installed the Shah, who was essentially a monarch. So the United States overthrew a democratically elected government to install a monarch who would be more favorable to them than the the democracy would be to the neighboring Soviet Union. Anyway, flash forward, that's basically what precipitated the revolution in 1979 and then all the crap that we deal with right now, that's the history. So flash back to 1953, this is about four women... And how their lives intersect in very interesting ways uh, on, on the, outs- the, uh, the suburbs of, of Tehran. And uh, it's, a, it's a really, really beautifully made film. Very interesting. Uh, a little bit of magical realism, which I normally don't like, but it's, it's done in that poetic realism way in Iranian cinema that, where it feels a little bit more acceptable to me. So uh, it's, it's a really, really good film. Definitely worth checking out. Beautifully, beautifully made, beautifully shot. And then uh, got three films from the Raro video line here, all of them on Blu-ray. Uh, these are all uh, basically Italian films, kind of genre-y films that are, v- to varying degrees, might be worth checking out. Uh, Franco Prosperi is a, uh, an action director who made Meet Him and Die uh, Italian films of this type from the seventies are all pretty kind of standard. Uh, you know, Elke Summer shows up in this, and uh, it's you know it's just it's a it's just a really violent Italian pol- uh, cop film. They're kind of a dime a dozen. I don't know that that's really that highly recommended. Uh, hallucination strip from Lu- Lucio Mar- Marchaccini. Is uh, also new to Blu-ray, and uh, this is another 1970s, mid-1970s, uh, really dated film that has a whole kind of psychedelic uh, 60s throwback vibe to it. Uh, a little bit too dated, uh, politically and stylistically. Not sure that that really, really uh, worked for me, but I was, I did find interesting that Bud Cort pops up in
1: this. Bud Cort pops up in the weirdest movies, dude. Like, uh, like, uh, like uh, Clint Howard. Yeah. Exactly. So I think like a very ugly man will be in your film. Very really weird. And it's Clint Howard.
0: Uh, Francesco Rossi is a real director. Yeah. And uh, this is the film Many Wars Ago, otherwise known as Uomini Contro. And uh, Rossi is a great director, one of the great Italian directors of the last 50 years. And uh, this is from 1970, and uh, it takes place during World War I in northern Italy. And it is really, really well done. It is gritty, it is, it is grueling, it is beautifully photographed. It is a fantastic-looking Blu-ray. And uh, this is the one you really want to see. This is, a, this is a great anti-war film. Really, really great scale and art direction and everything else. Uh, definitely want to check this out. Fantastic special, fe- uh, special features on this one. Uh, interfe- information on the in- uh, restoration um and uh it's really it's really really good so that's worth checking out by francesco rossi uomini contro otherwise known as many wars ago um and mark i want to talk for just a moment about space battleship yamato you a fan of space battleship yamato i am not star blazers you ever watch star blazers as i did as a kid? not no, you, no. Didn't, you didn't watch star blazers i did not we came from we were we were baptized in the same nerd swamp
1: I was never into, like, the Japanese stuff. It seemed just really? too creepy and weird for me. You didn't watch Speed Racer? I did watch Speed Racer. Because they, they, they had no lips. And there was a monkey. And the right. monkey always wound up in the trunk with the Trixie.
0: Okay. Star- like, how'd they
1: wind up in the trunk? Didn't Star- they suffocate?
0: Well, Star Blazers, you know, the, you know what Star Blazers was, right? There were, like, there were, like, four different seasons of Star Blazers, four different... It, it basically, the, the idea is that the, the Yamato, which was the giant dreadnought of the Japanese Navy that was sunk during World War II. It's, it's, it's resurrected in the future and turned into a giant spaceship. And it has to go on a mission to defeat these alien races that are going to blow up the Earth.
1: Because basically, if Japan cannot win the war in real life, they'll win exactly. it in, in anime.
0: Hey, I'll tell you. Pretty great stuff. They, they, for a long time, Hollywood was talking about doing a live-action version of it and could never get their act together. So finally, the Japanese said, we'll do it. And they made a great big honkin' live-action version of Space Battleship Yamato. And, uh, it, it's not that good. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, it just it just feels wrong. It's, I, I, I just watched this and I just felt like I want to watch the anime version. But they spent a lot of money on it and there are a lot of behind-the-scenes things. And uh, it's a Blu-ray DVD combo pack and looks spent spectacularly good. Uh... Uh, it's probably worth watching if you're a fan of the original uh, Star Blazers and the, uh, the movies that they edited from it, which are all the Space Battleship Yamato movies. But, um, I don't know, sometimes the effects didn't even look that good to me, and I was kind of shocked about that. So, anyway, there's, uh, there is that. And uh, then, as long as we're on the martial arts vibe, um, Seven Warriors Stand and Fight is an interesting Hong Kong film that's a little bit like Seven Samurai. Uh, there have been a lot of films that are Seven Samurai variations. Obviously, the, uh, uh, the uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, the Roger Corman uh, science fiction film with uh, you know, Sybil Danning and... An
1: you know, early James Horner score. And
0: John Boy, which had, yes, which had James Horner writing the music and had special effects by... James Cameron. James Cameron. And then, of course, The Magnificent Seven is the most famous one of all. But um, this is, a, uh, this is a, a Hong Kong take on it that's, uh, it's fine, it's okay. I, uh, it's a little bit odd because it just feels so familiar and derivative. I'm not quite sure why they did it, but I kind of understand why they did it because they wanted to throw a bunch of, you know, noteworthy faces together and they felt, well, we can put Max Mock and uh, Jackie Chung and uh, Wu Ma and Tony Leung and, you know, Lo Liet and these familiar faces together in a movie and uh, people will go see it. But they won't go see it outside of Hong Kong. So if you're a Hong Kong buff, uh you you will probably like this. Uh it's directed by Sam o. Hung, who has a, a small part in it. Um, but uh other than that I d I don't know that it's uh I don't know that it's really all that uh that novel. So anyway. Mark, speaking of martial arts.
1: Yeah, you know, um Forty-seven Ronin was a uh, was so a, sad was a tough birth for uh, Mister Woe himself, Keanu yeah. Reeves. This thing was supposed to be released in two thousand twelve, and then it got moved back to two thousand thirteen, and uh, it wound up coming out at the end of two thousand thirteen. And now it's on uh, Blu-ray, three D, Blu-ray regular DVD, and digital HD. None of which I recommend you see. Uh, this has very little to do with the. The Legend of the 47 Ronin. This is kind of like a reimagining of it. It was, uh, put it this way, the script was an original by the two guys who wrote Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. So you know they have a lot of respect for the Japanese culture and what it all means. Um, Directed by a first-timer, starring a guy with no acting range to speak of. Uh, The movie totally just fails to impress on any level it's dull it's uh you know the roles are one dimensional it's just not good i mean i don't know what to say just some you know it's a type of movie that makes a great trailer but in the end does not make a great movie yeah. and you can see why i mean look they tried to blame its delay on you know reshoots and com- completing the 3d effects that took longer than they thought but actually, what they were doing is they were trying to, uh, you know, make the best out of a bad situation, because the movie's just not very good. So I would pass on uh, 47 Ronin. It's just, uh, it's just tedious, and it's really long and it's slow, and uh, it's, just, it's just a deadly serious, lifeless, bad movie. Oh, well. Otherwise, it was good.
0: All right. well, uh, r- real quickly, just to, to wrap up the martial arts thing and to wrap up the show. You know, Forty Seven Rana has been done in masterpieces by other directors already. I don't know why what they thought they were doing. I mean, it's it's a it's a, great story. It's, it's a great
1: story. It's
0: been US. done so many great times. There are at least three or four other versions that are really really good. Uh, Jackie Chan's Chinese Zodiac. You know, Jackie's back to doing uh, big blockbustery films for Chinese New Year in Hong Kong, and uh, Chinese Zodiac uh, was a bit of a big deal fairly recently because it is essentially The Armor of God Three. Uh, he plays Asian Hawk again. The problem is Jackie is pushing 60 now, and Asian Hawk at 60 ain't the same as Asian Hawk at like 35. So this is, um, it's a little, you know, he's slowed down, and its it just feels a little bit like it's trying to be something that it can't really be anymore. It's, it's trying a little too hard. That said, it's still enjoyable. It's just not vintage Jackie Chan. It's not what it needs to be. Uh, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. Uh, that's on Blu-ray and Ultraviolet from uh, the good people at Universal, and then uh, Young Detective D: Rise of the Sea Dragon is a uh, is a, uh, noteworthy for being a, uh, a one of the more l- the less clumsy recent Choi Hawk films. Uh, it is a, a, it's the, the sequel to Detective D: Mystery of the Phantom Flame, which was a huge huge hit but nobody saw it here. So, uh this is going to this is strictly for people who saw the first film and who are into the detective D thing, which is a whole kind of it's a it's a period, you know, detective concept that's a little bit fantasy and uh you know, the, this has a sea monster plot to it and uh, it, it's it's a little bit like I guess if uh I don't know, if Sherlock Holmes, you know, if you, if you cross Sherlock Holmes with uh, uh, like the Clash of the Titans and set it in period China or something, it's, uh, that's, that's sort of what it winds up being. Anyway, uh, so Young Detective D. Rise of the Sea Dragon, for people who saw the first film and are big fans of it. And then we got a couple of Jet Li movies, one of which I thought was really cool, the other of which I thought was really t- uh, tedious, uh, Sorcerer and the White Snake. Uh, is, is kind of classic Jet Li, sword and you know, wire work and uh, wuxia stuff um, not as good as what he did in the 90s but uh, it's certainly, certainly fun really, really good choreography by uh, uh, Ching Su otherwise known as Tony Ching Su who did the uh, uh, action directing and choreography on some of uh, Zhang Mao's more recent films like uh, 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 Flying Daggers and a few other ones um, uh, one of the great wirework guys of all time and uh, does some nice work here I don't like the visual effects so much I'm a little tired of seeing CGI and everything especially in Hong Kong movies where they didn't used to rely on it so much but uh, otherwise uh, thoroughly enjoyable and then Badges of Fury is just uh, a strangely familiar and tedious movie with Jet Li as the crusty old cop you know like uh, who, who's got the, the, the young punky rookie for a partner and we've seen that done so many times It's like the Lethal Weapon films, except not as interesting. And uh, it didn't really work for me in any way at all. And then um, a couple of quick ones, finally. uh, Ronnie Yu, another uh, big uh, Hong Kong director, uh, familiar to many who for directing Bride with White Hair, and then also the... uh, uh what was the what was the American thing that he did, uh oh gosh, the with the with the, the uh it wasn't Star Wars? No 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 the um oh the the, the the kangaroos, the freaking kangaroos that are sort of like a rip off of the teenage mutant Ninja turtles.
1: Warriors of virtue.
0: Me? Warriors of virtue. Oh
1: my god.
0: You didn't see that, did you? I did not. Oh, you missed out. It was just psychotic. Financed by the way by four brothers who are all dentists somewhere in, in Texas or Florida or something. Very strange history to that movie. Anyway, Ronnie Yu back in Hong Kong with Saving General Yang. Uh, very, very nicely done. But it's one of those Chinese period films that is just so rooted in convoluted history that ye, it'll make no sense to anybody who isn't just completely immersed in the genre. Uh, but otherwise, very, very nicely done. That is also in the, uh, a Blu-ray disc from uh, WellGo. And then finally, for fans of the ageless Andy Lau, who just does not go away, who does not age, who has not aged a single solitary day in the past 30 years, it is very disturbing. I don't know what his secret is, but this is a DVD-Blu-ray combo set of Switch. And uh, it's basically Andy Lau just doing uh, his very best uh, kind of Mission Impossible slash James Bond impression, just being cool, being awesome, uh, being a special agent. And uh, that's it. That's what he does. He just looks good. I, uh, last time I was in Hong Kong, I saw Andy Lau uh, on television doing one of his concerts because he's also a pop star. That's obligatory in Hong Kong, right? If you're a movie star, you have to be a pop star. It, 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 was, the most, it was the most gaudy thing I've ever seen, and everybody loved it. They ate it all up. So anyway, uh, this is fine. It's perfectly fine, perfectly passable. It uh, doesn't really transcend the genre, but it's, uh, it's better. Than, you know, it, it certainly measures up well with some of the Mission Impossible films. So I'll say that. Andy Lau and the Blu-ray DVD combo pack of Switch. So there we go, Mark. That's the show for the week. What? We're done. We're done. We're done. We are done so uh, with that we, uh, we're done and uh, we'll be back next week with more uh, we need fun. box
1: boxes we need, uh, yeah, we need send letters. letters send us an email Tell letters, us letters
0: box boxes and we gotta get some more, uh, we gotta get some more giveaways going uh, we're gonna get some uh, more interviews going and we do have some interesting interviews actually lined up so we've got some really really good stuff lined up we just have to uh, get off our butts and, and knock it out so with that, we are done. And send us the Vox boxes. Send us listener mail at gods at digigods.com. No, no, stop. And also visit the Facebook page. Join the Facebook group. We uh, we love the activity there. Lots of good people. See you guys next week.